Hello and welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast. I'm Jonathan Grace and I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 Editor-in-Chief John DeGeese, who spent the week trackside in Indianapolis. John, how was your weekend? It was pretty good. We were treated to a, a quite a good Indianapolis eight-hour. It was decided right into the final stages of the race, so uh, nothing to complain about there. Well, we've got a great show for you today. We'll recap this weekend's racing action from the Indianapolis 8-Hour, bring you the news of the week, answer some listener questions, and give you a preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. All that and more on this week's episode of Double Stint. John, let's dive right into the racing action at the Indianapolis 8-Hour. It was a joint effort between Intercontinental GT Challenge, powered by Pirelli, and Fanatec GT World Challenge America, powered by AWS. They were on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course, and they raced into twilight for the first time in the Speedway's history. When it was all said and done, it was Marciello and company in the number 77 Craft Bamboo car who took their first win in Intercontinental GT Challenge competition. They also were able to help Mercedes clinch the manufacturer's title in that series. It was a great battle to the finish, Marciello holding off Antonio Fuoco, who was charging hard. Both cars had come from the rear of the field to lead the race and were swapping positions through the closing couple of hours. It was a wonderful battle, and we were treated to an instant classic. Yeah, it was a really amazing battle in the closing laps in, in full darkness. The first time at Indianapolis Motor Speedway that we had we had seen such a thing, and um, it was uh, an incredible fight there at the end between Raffaele Marciello and Antonio Fuoco. Um, ultimately, the two cars got a bit caught up in the, the traffic in the closing laps. The Mercedes was able to keep its lead to the to the checkered flag um, by winning by only eight tenths of a second over the Ferrari. Um, you know, I would have to say the middle stages of the race, the early stages of the race was pretty routine. There there wasn't a lot of incidents. There was only actually only two yellows in the race. So um, what we saw at the end was a, a, a real battle royale between the two drivers and being in victory lane and, and talking to both of them after the race um antonio actually seemed to have a smile on his face by finishing second which was quite <laughs> surprising because you know you would think that they would be they of course the squad would have been very disappointed by missing out on the win by by so close of a margin but it seemed that both teams actually really enjoyed the fight to the finish yeah, and it was great to watch from a fan perspective. You can't take anything away from Craft Bamboo and their effort, but let's talk about the AF Corsa for a minute because that was maybe one of the comeback drives of the season. Uh, started 18th and was leading the race back and forth with the Craft Bamboo team. They were really the two protagonists overall. Daniel Serra put in a monster first stint to get the car up to second, uh, and again, they'd swapped with the 77 car throughout the race. Yeah, they were really on fire at the start of the race as you said um daniel sarah got up to second by the end of his opening stint i asked him about that and he said it was really the good tire degradation and and just um really smooth driving and he didn't expect to be as high as he was by the end of the end of the opening hour but um ultimately i think he put on the driver of the race for sure um although you have to say rafaeli marciello did pretty well at the end of the race holding off um uh, Sarah's co-driver uh, Fuoco at the at the end too, but um, certainly the 71 looked to be in control of the race through the middle stages until there was a uh, a drive-through penalty for contact with the number 51, the sister car. Dipao um, ended up making contact with the the 51 of Pierre Rags uh, entering the 
entering turn one um, just shortly before halfway. And that sort of turned things upside down for the Italian squad. It gave the lead to the Kraft Bamboo car. I, I think Danny Giancadeo was behind the, the, the wheel at the time. And um, then there was another yellow that ultimately um, bunched things back up and, and put the two cars back on the equal strategy and the, set up the really great fight to the finish. Well, if it was a great day for AF Corsa and Craft Bamboo, it was a race to forget for K-Pax Lamborghini. They have taken the GT World Challenge America title. Lamborghini's taken the GT World Challenge America Manufacturer's title. But for both the number one and the number three car, really a race to forget. One of the yellow flags was for a big incident for Marco Mapelli, who had a big crash out of the final corner after a tire failure. And then there were just multiple incidents for the number three car. Uh, Misha Goikberg kind of went through the wars early on being spun around and then later making contact with Charlie Luck ultimately finished fourth and uh, a, a pretty good damage limitations point salvage there it must be said but either way uh, not how they would have hoped this weekend would go yeah Jordan Pepper ended up getting second place in the GT World Challenge America Drivers Championship as a result of Mapelli's race ending accident um um Mapelli's, Mapelli's season long his co-driver for this weekend Michele Beretta um, who was in the car for the majority of the season, um, obviously did not score uh, points after the accident or didn't didn't get um, top billing, at least in terms of the, the points available for GT World Challenge America. That actually went to the number 96 Turner Motorsport BMW of Robbie Foley, Michael Dine, and, and John Edwards, who finished third overall, um, really capitalized on that second yellow um, actually, for the first yellow as well, they got a wave by, which was a bit surprising at the time. There was, I think, four, three or four cars that got wave bys that uh, under the SRO rules prior to the race, there were not going to be any wave bys. But um, the nature of the accident for Mapelli led to an emergency caution um, that ultimately saw the uh, the pace the safety car dive on the, tr the track immediately to slow down the field, and they the, the safety car was unable to pick up the overall leader at the time. The second yellow was also a bit um, controversial in, in in ways where it picked up the number 33 windward Mercedes, which was actually running third in the race at the time with um, Jules Gunan at the wheel. And um, Jules stormed to the pole, um, had an amazing pole run the day before in, in, the, in the car. And that team was certainly one of the favorites for the win, but they, they got stuck behind the safety car um, under the second yellow and ultimately were, were unable to fight for the overall win at the end. Um, Jules was really disappointed you could read his comments on sports car 365 in our post-race notebook um ultimately he had he had the chance of locking up the intercontinental gt challenge uh powered by pirelli driver's title it, this weekend um finishing fourth instead and now having the title go down to the season finale at the golf 12 hours in december so um interesting stuff from a, a from, from a couple of the other com competitors in the pro class for sure i i think um had the the yellow procedure been performed correctly on the second caution we probably would have seen the windward car in the battle for the overall win which would have been spectacular as well i, I think having a three-way fight um, would have been really epic, but um, that's how things unfold. We we had similar issues to this race last year with wave buys and and safety cars, and there was a lot of work done by SRO to try to rectify all that and make sure it, things wouldn't happen again. And it was just unfortunate that out of out of the two yellows we had, both were not handled per the rule book. 
Yeah, but either way, it did give us a great overall battle. It gave us a great Pro-Am battle, too. Let's talk about that one for a second as well. Mario Farnbarker and Ashton Harrison have won the G2 World Challenge America Pro-Am title with Racer Edge Motorsport. Christina Nielsen sharing in the driving duties as well. It's been a great season overall and a well-deserved championship title. Harrison becomes the first woman to win a GT World Challenge America title as well. And they were able to seal the deal on the championship with their third place finish in Indy. Yeah, it was a really impressive job by by that team who didn't need to win the race after the issues by the Wright Motorsports Porsche and CrowdStrike Racing Mercedes earlier in the race. Um, they had actually entered the weekend third in the championship, 15 points behind. But um, the, the Racers Edge Acura ended up finishing second in the GT World Challenge America classification, third among the Pro-Am runners. So that means they got second place points where their um, closest competitor was the the right motorsports Porsche, and they got sixth place points with Charlie Luck and Jan Halen spearheading the the driving duties there over the weekend and the season in the number 45 Porsche, ultimately coming up short after they had uh, power steering issues in the race and then also an early race incident with the CrowdStrike car, which ended up having an incident of its own later in the race with Ben Keating at the wheel that damaged a radiator and sent the car behind the wall for a lengthy repair. So um, drama out of all the classes, I think the most drama came in Pro-Am, but we were treated to a pretty exciting fight at the end for the Pro-Am class win that was up against the Bimmer World BMW and the Sun Energy One Mercedes. Um, Sun Energy One's Mercedes of Dominic Bauman was actually not in the the GT World Challenge classification, only the Intercontinental GT Challenge classification. As if you could tell, this was a bit of a confusing race because we had cars from both series um, competing, and actually we never had a, a combined results table released post-race, which was even more bizarre. Um, it was just separate results from each nominated series, and some cars were on both results sheets. And um, I have to say this almost brought back shades of Sebring 2012 between the WEC and uh, IMSA for the 12 hour um, when it was very similar situation there. But um, I, uh, nonetheless, um, great battle at the end in pro-am Bill Oberlin held off Dominic Bauman for, for the class win. And um, the, the Bauman uh, Mercedes dropped back a little bit, actually didn't really lose time. It was more the case of the BMW gaining time under the second yellow. They ended up pitting and um, really capitalizing on the slow uh, pace by the competitors at the time. And that's what really put them ahead at the end of the race to take the overall Pro-Am win. Um, Sun Energy One still took the Pro-Am win in Intercontinental and by that um, clinched the, the driver's Pro-Am Challenge title for Kenny Hubble and Martin Conrad, who are the two bronze drivers in that lineup. Yeah, it was a great drive all around. As you said, the Pro-Am battle was was really exciting start to finish from the drama on the formation lap to the excellent racing all around. It was an up and down for most of the title contenders really the whole way through, but it made it incredibly exciting. In the M class, it was the number 88 Zalus Motorsport Lamborghini of Jason Harward, Jason Daskalos, and Seth Lucas. Lucas is just 16 years old, and this was his GT3 race debut, so an impressive showing for the 88 crew. Let's move on to talking about a very exciting weekend in DTM. We saw a pair of rounds at Hockenheim for the season finale. Race one saw Lucas Auer take his second win of the season uh, in a race that saw a massive, horrifying crash. Luckily, everybody was okay. And in race two, Marco Whitman won in the number 11 Walken Horse BMW, and it was a three-way title fight that saw Sheldon Vandalinda crowned the 2022 DTM champion. 
We also saw round seven of NLS, uh, where Frederick Makwecki and Julian Andlauer drove the brand new Porsche 911 GT3R to an impressive podium finish in the car's race debut in the SPX class. As always, you can read more about the racing action from the weekend over on the weekly racing roundup on sportscar365.com. Well, John, we've got a bunch of great news headlines for you this week, and let's start to dive through them. Following Motul Petit Le Mans, we saw a shared test for the new GTP cars at Road Atlanta, Acura, BMW, and Cadillac, all sharing the track. And it was an eventful, eventful couple days, John. It was a, a three-day test. Acura suffered a pair of crashes. Uh, we saw the Cadillac and their drivers getting more up to speed, and BMW was trying to recover after a crash from the Glen and, by all accounts, had a wonderful test. Yeah, where do we start with all this? Um, lots went on over the course of the three days, and um, it was great to see um, all three manufacturers on track. Um, Porsche obviously wasn't there. It was their decision not to take part in the test. Um, they have some more testing in the U.S. coming up later this month. Um, nonetheless, it, it was, um, I think, Acura left there a little bit wounded um, and disappointed with what happened? Um, there was an accident in the opening day by Tom Blomquist that was triggered by a suspension failure um, to the number 60 MSR Acura. Um, Tom was fine. The car was damaged, but not not totally um, written off. And ultimately, the, uh, the other Acura um, from Wayne Taylor Racing was parked until they figured out a temporary fix to that suspension issue. Um, then two days later, Matt McMurray, who was um, sharing the the 60 car with Blomquist in testing duties, um, he had an accident on his own. Um, it looked to be driver error and um, unrelated to the suspension issue, but it put Acura in a bit of a tight time frame to get um, the 60 car repaired. They actually made repairs on site and then um, trucked it over to the Windshear Wind Tunnel in North Carolina immediately after because um, the more majority of these LMDH manufacturers were going through wind tunnel test verification testing this week as part of the homologation process for the LMDH cars. So um, really tight time frame. Um, BMW was worried about having an accident at uh, Road Atlanta again after their situation um, that unfolded at Watkins Glen the week before. Um, ultimately, that was not the case, and the BMW got more mileage in with a bunch of drivers behind the wheel. Um, it was quoted to, that they had a, a breakthrough day um, on Monday after really running without any major issues. Um, the, the German manufacturer had a bunch of um, gremlins and setbacks in previous tests, both in Europe and in the U.S. So I think the real winner from this three-day test IMSA sanction test at Road Atlanta was BMW. I, I think they got a lot of mileage in and really got a lot of confidence in the car. And then looking at the Cadillac side of things, they just got more mileage under their belt. Um, a bit of a slow start for the Chip Ganassi racing car uh, of, of Sebastian Bourdais and some others that were behind the wheel, inc including um, Richard Westbrook, who got his first laps in an LMDH car later in the test. Um, they had some parts uh, shortages and, and were waiting on some components to the car before getting going later in the day on Monday, but um, ultimately got more comfortable with the speeds um, of, of, of the LMDH car, especially Alexander Sims, who was switching over from Formula E. He's going to be Pipo Durrani's new co-driver there and starting next year. So um, all in all, I, I think that um, 
it was a pretty successful test when when you sort of maybe take out the issues from Acura, but um, still um, great to see these cars on track and and certainly lots to look forward to in the next couple of months when there's more testing scheduled and and we got a the second IMSA sanctioned test at Daytona coming up in early December. Absolutely, and December's going to creep up so quickly, especially in the, in the off season. And uh, you got to feel for Acura, as, you know, as, especially as they're they're kind of going through their program. But I think by this point, it sounds like every manufacturer has had some major setback in the way of a crash at some point through the testing program. Uh, and so it, it's kind of a matter of time with a brand new car, um, you know, whether it happens now or, or down the road. But either way, just great to see everybody on track. It was really, really cool to see at Motul Petit Le Mans them line the three GTP cars up at the tail of the grid just kind of gets you excited about the new era. Yeah, there's a lot to look forward to, and and certainly this test was a a good taste of of what Daytona will bring. There's going to be nine cars on the grid for the Rolex 24. When you add in a third Cadillac, we're probably not going to be seeing um, the the customer uh, Porsches in time for the season opener. But um, yeah, there's lots of excitement building for sure. Following the Indy 8-hour, SRO has a, quote, long-term commitment to the event. Stefan Rattel got his wish, uh, having the race end under the darkness at IMS. Uh, both he and Greg Gill stating that they are committed to this event long-term, and importantly, that IMSA's arrival will not impact SRO's running of the Indy 8-hour. Yeah, some uh, interesting statements from both Greg Gill and, and Stefan Rattel about the future of the Indy 8-hour. Um, we know that there were meetings over the course of the weekend with Roger Penske and, and track other track management as well. Um, let's wait and see what actually happens. Um, I, I, I know this is what Stefan and, and Greg told us in, in terms of the long-term future. I know Roger Penske probably has a had a, at least had a different feeling of it a, a couple months ago. We haven't had the chance to speak to him uh, uh, more recently about the potential of this event continuing. Um, obviously, this this race was uh, part of a, a contract that was already signed before Penske um, took ownership of the facility. And we know Roger has been pushing very hard for the, for an endurance, a multi-class endurance race. And that's what they'll be getting in 2024 um, when IMSA stages a long distance endurance race at Indianapolis in September of, of 24. And that'll be just one month before the Indy 8 hour if everything is on schedule in in 2024 to that degree. So um, you can tell I'm a little bit hesitant, but just because we haven't gotten any word from the track of of any long-term commitment for this event. So let's wait and see what happens. We know it's on the calendar for next year. We know IMSA is on the calendar for next year. So that's for certain, um, except the WeatherTech Championship race will be a regular two-hour and 40-minute contest in 2023 before it goes to an endurance race the following year. As, as is the case in, in racing most times with these kind of events, the more the merrier. And from a fan perspective, you got to hope that the, the Speedway will put on the best show it can for the fans. And rest assured, Roger Penske uh, likely has that in mind as well. Uh, certainly, the Indy 8 Hour was a spectacle, and we can't wait to see IMSA run there as well. Turner Motorsports is, quote, very likely to run a second car in IMSA, and they've also confirmed some future programs. That second car, it was mentioned by Will Turner uh, as a GTD car, but could it also be a GTD Pro, potentially, with a second car? Maybe one in Pro, one in the regular GTD class. We know that Robbie Foley is confirmed to continue with the team, but he's the only driver confirmed at this stage. 
On top of that, in GT4 machinery, uh, Turner Motorsports will be running a car in the GSX class in the new VP Racing Sports Car Challenge, as well as a pair of cars uh, in the Michelin Pilot Challenge, where they had a very successful year as well. Yeah, I if I had to be a, a betting man right now, I think I would say one car in Pro, one car in GTD, um, just because of the driver situation. Um, we'll get to the story, I think, next on the driver ratings. But Robbie Foley's been one of 50 um, silver-rated drivers that have been upgraded to gold for next year. And that sort of puts a... Uh, puts them in a challenging situation if they were to run two GTD cars because you have somebody like Bill Oberlin who is most likely going to be back in WeatherTech. I, I don't see a reason why not. Um, him and Robbie had teamed up previously together um, uh, in GTD. Now that combination is no longer eligible um, if, if Robbie's status to gold remains official. Again, these are provisional driver ratings changes. Um, drivers have the chance to uh, to fight the, 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 the adjustments made by the FIA. And um, then we have Michael Dynan, who has been rumored to move into WeatherTech Championship, perhaps on a full-time basis next year after doing the Michelin Endurance Cup races with the team this year. Um, he's, I believe, silver rated. So that works for gtd and then you have the potential of somebody like john edwards who's not expected to be part of the bmw gtp effort actually he won't be because the drivers have been confirmed um, for the endurance races as well um he's expected to remain racing the m4 gt3 either in the weather tech championship or other gt series around the world so I, I would think that it would make sense for somebody like John Edwards to join the team. He he made the he made the he made the team's debut at the Indy Eight Hour, finishing third overall in the best placed GT World Challenge America car. Did very very well. Um, so if you have the drivers like Foley, Oberlin, Edwards teamed with Dynan, that would work for one car in Pro, one car in in GTD regular. So let's wait and see what happens. Um, I know that Will um, told you, Jonathan, that he has plans to hopefully run the second car and it's looking very likely. So um, I, I think uh, things are looking up for this team as they get busier and busier with, with additional cars and programs. Absolutely. Yeah. They'll, they'll have their hands full, but they're a fan favorite. And uh, Turner is no stranger to running multiple programs. When he spoke to me at, at Road Atlanta, Will Turner did say that, you know, it's kind of hard to ignore the momentum that IMSA has right now. And they certainly want to keep riding that wave. The FIA have released provisional driver ratings for the 2023 season in a lengthy 177-page document. They've outlined everything in a spreadsheet. As you said, John, over 50 drivers upgraded from silver to gold. That is effective January 1st of next year. 25 drivers have been upgraded from gold to platinum, many of whom will be driving the new top prototype machinery in the World Endurance Championship and IMSA. There's a full detailed breakdown on sportscar365.com because this would be a three-hour podcast if we went through all of it <laughs> with you. But uh, again, these results are provisional. The drivers do have a chance to, to have their say, uh, but some really interesting changes, John. Yeah, um, I don't even know where to start with this list because there's so many to, to point out, and I don't want to highlight one driver over another. So I would just urge you to to check out the the, the article on, on 365, and and hopefully um, we'll get a final list in the next couple weeks. I, I believe drivers have seven days to appeal the the ruling. Um, so um, busy times for drivers and their managers and and teams that are trying to to figure out lineups for next year. Um, certainly, this is the revised. Um, 
driver rating system that was overhauled by SRO Motorsports Group. So there's different criteria now in terms of what constitutes a bronze driver or a silver or a gold or a platinum. So um, that's why we've seen so many changes for this year. And I think um, going into 2023, um, there's there's other championships out there that are still wondering how to sort of place their rules with certain driver ratings. Um, the World Endurance Championship being one of them, too, that I think is sort of open to potential changes in the qualifications for certain categories. So um, interesting times for sure. Um, we'll try to keep you updated as best as we can on on the website. Well, John, let's talk GT3 cars for a moment, specifically new GT3 cars. New GT3s and their evolutions will not be allowed at the first two 2023 Intercontinental GT Challenge rounds in SRO. That's the new Porsche 911 GT3R, the Ferrari 296 GT3, and the updated Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo 2. Uh, this is for the Bathurst 12-hour and the Kailami 9-hour to start the SRO season. This is just because the cars will not have had the chance to complete SRO. SRO's BOP testing, which is scheduled for March, before these two races earlier in the year. Yeah, this was kind of expected. I, I think we had confirmation from both Porsche and Ferrari that they weren't going to be running their new cars at Bathurst, but we didn't know about Kailami, and there were some question marks over that, especially from the Lamborghini camp, um, with Capex Racing looking to potentially enter a full season Intercontinental GT Challenge program next year. And um, we got clarity from Stefan Rattel during the weekend at Indy that this is indeed the case, that both races will be running to 2022 BOP levels, um, just as you said, Jonathan, due to the fact that the cars are not um, yet going gone through the BOP testing. And um, this has really come down to, I, I, I know there's been some talk on social media and people disappointed by this and maybe pointing fingers at one person or another. And I have to say, I think this is largely down to the manufacturers, as far as I know. And it's not their fault. It's just that they're putting their focus on other series elsewhere, like the Rolex 24, um, to sort of kick off the, the, the programs with these cars instead. Um, manufacturers are able to get cars homologated earlier in the, the year, like this year, um, for 2023, due to some provisions by the FIA that allows the homologation to be done earlier in 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 the time frame uh and if one of the cars takes part in an end of year sro race um like fanatec gt world challenge europe as i think the mercedes amg gt3 evo did a couple of years back it would be allowed at the next year's race but with sro not having data for any of these cars because the manufacturers elected not to take part in any sro race later this year um it basically puts them in, in that in the, in the position where they're not going to be able to compete and sro is sort of running to the last year's uh bop numbers instead so i you kind of i have to understand all different angles to get a, a better view of what's going on here and um stefan sort of indicated that he hopes things can change in the future that would allow um these new new manufacturer cars to compete the following year and in, in the in the early season races and especially with the corvette and 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 ford coming online in 2024 uh maybe there could be a push for for something like that to happen oh it absolutely will and you know it may end up adding a new degree of excitement as well because the drivers midway through the season will have to adjust to new machinery and that kind of adds a, a neat little dimension to the season as well for sure 
We will see the new Lamborghini Evo 2s, at least five of them from what Lamborghini is targeting at the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona. Lamborghini's head of motorsports, Giorgio Sana, is planning to support a GTD Pro entry in the Michelin Endurance Cup in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season as well. We know that Porsche is targeting similar numbers for their new GT3 machine, but this is going to be great to see all these new GT3 cars on the grid at the same time. Yeah, we'll have the Ferrari as well. I, I think that they're in the range of five to six cars as well. So it's all it's all going to come down to how many cars are going to be allowed on the grid, I think, at Daytona in general. I think IMSA has a lot on their hands in, in terms of trying to reach the maximum capacity. Um, there's previously been a, a cap, I think, of 60 cars for Daytona. And I heard that number could be actually a few less because um, of IMSA's desire to lengthen the the pit lanes boxes partially due to the fact that we got now have hybrid cars with LMDH to give them a little more working room and and from a safety perspective so um, let's wait and see if, if all these cars will get entries for Daytona because I I think there, there could be a couple on 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 the fence just because there's so much interest around this race but certainly good news that Lamborghini has um, a, a big effort planned for the race and I'm sure their GTD Pro entry uh, by whoever is, is going to run that car. Um, they'll for sure get a space on on the grid, I'm, I'm pretty certain. Let's quickly run you through a couple more news headlines before we start to answer a listener question. We know that Sheldon Vandalinda and Marco Whitman are set to drive the new BMW M Hybrid V8 in the two opening IMSA endurance rounds at the Rolex 24 of Daytona and the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. Maximilian Buch has announced his retirement from racing. At 29 years old, the Mercedes factory driver is hanging up the spurs after a very long and successful career with the German manufacturer. Peugeot is set to adjust its World Endurance Championship hypercar lineup after James Rossiter has taken on a new role at fellow Stellantis Group company Maserati as the new Formula E team principal. And the 2023 ELMS round at Portimao has been moved so as to avoid the clash with Petit Le Mans. The new date for the event is October 20th through the 22nd. As always, you can read all about the headlines we've covered on today's show and more over on sportscar365.com. John, let's dive into answering a listener question. The Z-Man 97 has asked us in the comments section of our previous episode, has there been any talk of Bill Oberlin getting a shot in the new BMW GTP car? I think it would be awesome if BMW rewarded him with maybe an endurance seat at the top level. Uh, this might be a, a little bit of a, a leap. We know that Oberlin is, is certainly not shy on talent, but uh, with, the, with the lineups pretty much set, it's looking fairly unlikely. Yeah, I'd agree with you, uh, Jonathan. Um, Bill has has achieved a lot, especially even in the top level uh, of, of racing. I remember him driving a McLaren F1 GTR, and then after that, the BMW V12 LMR. So he's been a part of top level BMW programs in the past in prototype racing. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think he's probably just a little bit past his prime in terms of age. No disrespect to what he's been able to do i think he's still one of the quickest drivers out there um in, especially in the gt racing world but bmw is looking for for younger talent they have a lot of drivers um, lined up there's going to be even more drivers signed by bmw for 2024 based on what we've been hearing in in europe so um 
you know, when you see somebody like John Edwards not get a seat for the the GTP effort, I think that says a lot right there because I think John would would have been really well primed, has is perfect age, um, has a lot of experience, um, would be perfect for for that position. So um unfortunately, yeah, I don't think we'll see Bill in the GTP car, but I we hope to see him for many years to come in in the GT three car and as as what he's done um you know even this past weekend in in being part of the winning lineup uh, in pro-am for bimmer world at the indy eight hour absolutely i mean the guy just seems to refuse to stop winning so rest assured we'll see bill oberlin around the paddock for many more years to come as always we appreciate your questions and we love answering them here on the show if you have a question you'd like us to answer on double stint be sure to post it in the comment section below this episode or you can take to twitter and post your question using the hashtag ask double stint and we'll put our heads together to answer it in an upcoming episode before we let you go let's give you a preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing the european le mans series will visit portimao international gt open will be at barcelona intelligent money british gt championship will visit donnington and the fanatec gt2 european series will be at paul ricard that's it for us this week on the podcast if you have the time we'd greatly appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice it really helps out the show thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from for john de i'm jonathan grace we'll see you right back here next week for another edition of double stint